Welcome to the Untold Tales Audio Anthologies. Written by Don Muchao and narrated by Melissa Del Toro Schaffner. Waking Matt Wells rolled over the thin, filthy mattress in his cell, pushed against the floor, and raised his body into a hunched, half-crawling position he had learned in the yoga class his commanding officer had forced him to take. His head throbbed, and it was enough to make him instinctively reach back and feel the area above his neck for evidence of blunt force trauma. Some grit and sweat, but nothing else. His room was well-lit, mostly clean and temperate but care had been taken to see that he didn't escape. Concrete walls, no air conditioning vents or security cameras, no electrical outlets or overhead lights from which to steal wires or fashion a tool. His pockets had already been relieved of their contents. One wall was a steel lattice in which sat bricks of glass laced with chicken wire so that his captors could observe him. There was a narrow crack above and below the door, through which fresh air came, but not enough of an opening to force the door or even get leverage. Moreover, the door had no handle. He had managed to figure out that the doors were opened from a control panel nearby that threw a solenoid controlling electrical deadbolts. Even the mattress had been liberated of all wires it might have ever had. It was little more than a yoga mat and not nearly as useful. And other than himself and the clothes he wore, It was the only thing in the room. They had taken his shoes and socks, provided him with a t-shirt, and let him keep his jeans. But there wasn't much he could do with a few yards of denim and a handful of rivets. At irregular intervals, meals were brought on paper plates and trays, with paper cups and cardboard spoons. The one change Matt noticed almost after the fact was that, as of today, he couldn't see through the glass must be another way of keeping him disconnected from reality. So, for the most part, he found himself sitting on the mattress, thinking. Oddly, his ability to meditate had survived intact from his training, much of which he could no longer recall except in the moment. He had no memory of how he had been captured, why he was here, or what his captors wanted. He was only vaguely aware of his mission— He was certain he would not have allowed himself to be captured alive without having a plan. But his training had taught him to bury the important stuff deep, to hide it from recall under torture. They had used a technique that relied on situational associative memory, which meant that he'd only be able to recall what to do once his team was in place and the right code word had been uttered. Since he was here, it could only mean that he had never reached the desired coordinates and that the mission had failed. His sole objective now was to escape. They fed him reasonably well. Bland foods he recognized, baked beans, cornbread, greens, water if he behaved well, sometimes a Coca-Cola in a paper cup. Food upgrades usually meant his captors felt he was being cooperative. As he rose to a sitting position and contemplated his bruises, a voice from the open space outside his room jolted him to attention. Awake, are we? Asked a female voice. He didn't recognize it. They changed the people watching him once a week, probably to avoid letting him work up any kind of relationship that he could leverage with social engineering. I guess you could say that. How was your night? 
restless. You were up quite a bit. Matt grumbled. I didn't sleep well. Tell me about it, said the female voice. Yeah, said Matt. Sorry I kept you up. What time is it? <laughs> I think you misunderstand, said the voice. I'd actually like you to tell me about it. What did you dream? Nothing in particular. Went for a walk. Where? Outside the fucking cell. Where would you go if you were kept here? What did you see? Okay, Matt thought. I'm supposed to engage in some kind of guided visualization exercise that identified unresolved conflicts. Then they'll probe what those conflicts are. I'll tell them that I miss my family or something like that, and then that will turn into threats about ever seeing my family again if I don't do what they ask. Nothing. A hallway. You, sitting at your desk. What color is my hair? Red. How did you know that? One wall of my cell is glass. Until last night, I could watch people through it. I must have been a bad boy. That's interesting, said the voice. I didn't start working the station until last night, after our team covered the glass with a bedsheet, so you'd get light without the view. Nevertheless, you are correct. It startled Matt briefly when the woman yanked the bedsheet from outside of the glass wall. She was pretty, perhaps thirty years old, with gray eyes and a slight overbite, perhaps a bit of hyperthyroidism. The overall impression it left him with was a bit disarming. She came across as a happy and outgoing person, not the type who'd hold someone like him in a cell. Why am I here? Uh... Amanda, I'm sorry, but I'm not allowed to tell you why you're here, unfortunately. Or when your meals will be delivered, or anything that would allow you to predict behavior. I'm sorry, Matt. It's part of the experiment. But what I can tell you is that despite your confinement, I'm not your enemy. Easy for you to say. Actually, Amanda said as she turned and headed back to a desk just outside the cell. It's not. I have specific instructions to not feed you information, despite my inclinations otherwise. We want you to succeed. Succeed at what? She didn't answer. After a while, Matt became lost in his thoughts again as he stared through the glass at Amanda's office. She didn't seem to mind. The desk was the sort that you might find in a low-rent government office like the DMV. Cheap aluminum construction with spongy plastic filler panels that would have given a growing up playdesk a run for its money. No landline phones and no sign of other electronics that might give an escapee the chance to get a traceable message out or discover his captor's purpose for keeping him. The walls were a plain beige color, and indeed, as he remembered, there was a hallway heading parallel to the glass wall that disappeared into the distance to his left. Was that the hallway you went walking down? Amanda asked, gesturing to her right. In fact, it was. No, said Matt. It was some other hallway. Describe it to me. Amanda took out an old school pen and paper. He'd have to remember the pen. If he could get out, he could use it as a weapon. Half a dozen doors, perhaps, men's restroom on the left, second from the end. Amanda got up and walked over to the glass. I'm going to show you something, she said. She reached into a pocket and removed a mobile phone. 
Before you get any ideas about stealing my phone, I should tell you that it's programmed to call only one number, and it's not 911, but it does have a camera. She held up the phone and faced the lens toward Matt. I'm going to record a video, starting with your face, then walking down the hallway. Off and on, I'm going to turn the phone so you can see me. You will always see what I'm seeing. Then I'm going to walk back the same way. One continuous feed. I won't stop recording until I reach you, and I'll face the phone toward you when I do it. Sure, said Matt. But what's the point? You'll see. Amanda started recording, then walked down the hallway in full view of Matt, at least until the angle of view made it difficult to look through the thick glass. As promised, she returned shortly, still recording, faced the phone toward Matt, and pressed the stop button on the screen. I'm going to play it back now, she said. Matt watched as the video played. Indeed, it appeared to be continuous, showing the hallway exactly as he remembered it. What did you see? asked Amanda. Half a dozen doors. Men's restroom on the left, second from the end. Still sure you didn't walk down that hallway? You got me, said Matt. I lied earlier. You did well, Matt, Amanda announced merrily. I'll see you again tomorrow. She walked back to her desk, put the phone in her purse, and began scribbling something on the pad of paper with the pen. A few hours later, she brought him dinner. She slipped in through the door while it was cracked open, and he was resting on the far side. When the door opened, he jumped, but by the time he reached the spot where she had been, the door had already locked behind her. This time, the meal was a Wendy's cheeseburger and fries. That narrowed the candidate cities for his imprisonment a bit. He was either in the United States or one of 29 other countries. As a practical matter, it reduced his location to either the U.S. or Europe, and probably near a city. Matt quickly unfolded the wrapper and examined the bag for foreign writing, but nothing looked out of the ordinary. You won't be able to tell where you're being held by looking at the wrapper, said Amanda. You'll have to escape to find out. As he wolfed down the burger, he felt angry. It was one thing to be tortured. It was another to be dumped in a cell, forgotten and periodically waked up to answer surveys. He would have preferred the torture. I thought you might like something nice this evening, she said. The carbs will help you sleep. Matt was tempted to throw away the bun out of spite. But to be honest, he was hungry. For a while, he sat at the far end of the room near the toilet, where there was a little relief from the artificial light and he could stay out of view. Then he got tired of looking at the toilet and stretched himself out on the thin mattress in the room's center. Matt wasn't sure how long he'd been asleep when he awoke to find himself outside his cell. Amanda was nowhere to be seen. He assessed his surroundings, long hallway as he remembered. Behind him, it continued a short way in the other direction and then turned left. There was a ceiling-mounted security camera at that end, but at the moment it was pointed to observe the other branch of the L-shaped hallway. He took advantage of that moment and ran barefoot down the long hallway toward where he remembered the men's restroom to be. At the end of the hallway was some kind of break room. Currently, nobody occupied it, so he ducked out of view of the security camera behind him and began exploring cabinets. Most were empty, except for a few paper napkins and plastic utensils. 
One had a nested stack of insulated paper coffee cups. There was an apartment-scale refrigerator with a few ice trays in the freezer compartment and a half-drunk carton of orange juice. Two break tables were fastened to the floor in the center of the room on opposite sides of the hallway. Around them sat half a dozen plastic chairs. Beyond the break room, the hallway continued. There were perhaps half a dozen more doors, some with labels like janitorial, others labeled simply with an office number, but they were all locked. Matt hurriedly made his way past them, checking random doors, and still didn't encounter anyone. Not long afterwards, the hallway turned to the left and went past a long row of floor-to-ceiling glass windows. Behind them was a fully enclosed courtyard, in which stood a few shaded picnic tables and a handful of saplings, of unknown variety. There was no way to exit there. He returned his glance to the hallway ahead and ran along the length of it. He stopped checking doors and decided it was more important to get the best look he could at as much of the complex as he could remember. He could rifle through desks for makeshift weapons and take a hostage later. At the far end of the hallway was a cafeteria, but it was empty. Here and there he could make out the occasional paper plate or napkin. He thought about taking the plastic bag from a garbage can, but there was food in it, and he wasn't sure at the moment what kind of asset it would actually be. To his left, the cafeteria opened into an even larger common room. Scattered throughout it were perhaps eight or ten overstuffed couches. As he walked into the room, he could hear the slap, slap, slap of his footsteps echoing against the solid concrete floor. Just then, he heard a second set of footsteps to his left, getting louder, and decided to backtrack down the hall he had entered from. When Matt made it to the break room, it was still unoccupied, and the security camera was still pointed down the hall, 90 degrees away from him. He tiptoed back toward Amanda's desk. There on top of her desk lay her pen and notepad, with the words, Hello, Matt, scribbled across it. He took the pen and attempted to rifle through her desk, but everything was locked. Moments later, he heard her voice around the far corner past the security camera. Amanda was potentially an asset, and it was worth reconfining himself to build her trust. He'd need an inside resource to get out, and she was a source of knowledge if he could get her on his side. In the moment, he ducked back into his cell and closed the door behind him. Amanda came and went. She stopped by her desk only for a moment, and wondering when she would return and what sort of schedule she kept, Matt stayed awake to observe her behavior. Perhaps after two or three returns to her desk, she never came back. Perhaps she had gone looking for another pen. He tested the pen by writing something on his wrist. At least for now, he had a way of recording things. The next morning, Matt awoke to some minor discomfort in his heels. The bottoms of his feet were covered in some sort of gray smudge that may have been the acid dye polish from the cafeteria floor. As Amanda knocked on the door, he made an effort to stand up. Good morning, Amanda said in a musical tone. Did you sleep well? No, I never do. You should try this sorry excuse for a mattress. You know the rules, Matthew. No wires, no strings, no sharp objects. Nothing you can dig with or choke on or hang yourself with. I'm not going to hang myself, said Matt. For God's sake, give me some socks and shoes. Maybe, said Amanda. 
Where did you go this time? What? I know you were up walking again last night. I just need you to tell me where. Be honest this time. What if I don't want to? You might want to answer my questions, Matt. We've had a little time together. Next week, it will be another group of observers, and I can't promise you they'll be as cheery as I am. Be nice, and get nice back. All right, said Matt. I went walking down the hallway again, past the break room, around the corner, past the courtyard, and into the cafeteria. Then I heard footsteps coming. Did anyone see you? No, I didn't encounter anyone. I don't know if hidden cameras were trained on me. I didn't care. Did you interact with anything while you were walking last night? Not that I remember. Think hard, Matthew. Anything. I saw you had written a note to me. It said, hello, Matt. I thought that was kind of weird. Anything else? Yeah, said Matt. I stole your pen. Amanda held up her pen. This one? Matt looked down to where he had put the pen. It was gone, but not the handwriting on his arm. For the next several days, it was the same thing. Matt would wake up and find himself mysteriously outside his cell. He'd go for a walk and generally not encounter anyone in the huge building. He explored as much of it as he could, but always awoke in his cell. It was frustrating. So far, he had found one open office with a locked desk and filing cabinet, whose lone sealed window provided a view onto the parking lot. Most of the vehicles were passenger sedans or SUVs, but none was close enough to make out a license plate. After a week of trying, all he had to show for his efforts was three paper clips, a few packets of coffee creamer, and a plastic spoon, all of which disappeared from his pockets. The only permanence seemed to be the effect any of it had on his body. He could still taste the dry creamer from his last experiment in the break room. The day finally came when Amanda announced that she was being moved to another area of the building. There were other projects where the need was greater, she said. Matt stood by the door, listening to her explanation with an unexpectedly sinking feeling. Wait, he said, as Amanda turned and grabbed a stack of papers from her desk. Don't... Don't go? Matt, you've been a good subject, but I can't justify staying longer if we can't get any farther with your progress. She shrugged. You were doing so well for a while. Progress on what? He hadn't intended it to come across as impatient as it did. But Jesus, he'd been here for... How long was it? You've been here for six months now, Matt. We don't have an infinite budget for our project. Your project? Said Matt. When are you going to let me out of here? Oh, Matt. Amanda said in a piteous tone. You're free to leave whenever you want. Nobody is going to stop you. Then let me out. I'm sorry, Matt. It doesn't work that way. Amanda brought decent food on her final night with Matt. Carne asada tacos from some place she said was down the street. He ate ravenously. In fact, he'd been this hungry for nearly a week. His mind kept returning to how he had managed to escape his cell each night, only to awake the next morning 
exhausted on that miserable excuse for a mattress. Why do you keep me here? He had asked some time during the evening, not really expecting an answer. To force you to escape, she had replied. Try harder, Matt. We're depending on you. During his last night with Amanda, Matt couldn't help feeling he was being toyed with. He was sick of the coy manipulation and the waffling between being held captive and mysteriously let go for a while. And he was tired of the fact that he never left the goddamned building. It was not entirely to his surprise, then, that as he drifted off, Matt found himself outside this time, in a forested area rich with bare autumnal oaks, sweet gum, and sassafras. That put his location somewhere he recognized, in the deep south of the U.S. Not that it helped if he couldn't get out of this forest and to civilization. But he was free! Amanda had said he was free to go any time he wanted. And now he wondered why he had been held captive for so long, and what any of it had meant. He picked a direction and walked on, weaving a path through the trees. Whenever he spotted a shallow creek, he walked downstream, through the icy cold water, until he found a spot that was far enough downstream to throw off any pursuers. Matt had been walking for perhaps three or four hours when he came upon a road crossing. There were no street signs, but it was a paved rural road. Again, he picked a direction, north this time, and continued walking for what must have been another three or four hours. Finally, someone came by in a pickup truck. Hey, shouted Matt. Hey, I could use some help. The truck slowed down to a stop, and the driver, a hefty guy in a plaid hunting shirt and a ball cap, rolled down the passenger side window. Hey, buddy, Matt said, lowering his voice. Can you tell me where I am? I'm lost, and I could sure use a ride. Just outside Hansfield, Georgia, said the man. This is County Road 617. Get in. Matt got in, and as the man drove on, the warm blast from the overpowered heater and the lull of the tires against chip seal asphalt began to take their toll. He spotted a folding knife that had fallen from the floorboard between the seat and the door. Before pocketing it, he tested the point on the back of his arm to make sure it was sharp. It bled. Good enough. The next morning, Matt awoke in his cell again. This time, Amanda was nowhere to be seen. In her place sat a rather dour-looking man who looked to be in his mid to late fifties, with black hair and bifocals. So you're awake, said the man. Fuck you, said Matt. I want out of here. The man looked up at Matt over the rims of his glasses. As Amanda told you before, Mr. Wells, you are free to leave. Then let me go. She told me you would say that, Mr. Wells. Unfortunately, we've hit a roadblock with you and Amanda. So let's try something different. I'll be happy to answer your questions, if I can. Okay. Let's start with why I'm here. Who captured me? Why? What do you want from me? Why won't you let me go? Who do you work for? That's seven questions, Mr. Wells. Which one do you want answered first? Who are you? That's eight. Fine. Let's start with that. Who are you? My name is Ed. All right, Ed. Who captured me? Who do you work for? 
That's difficult to answer. Try me. Um, you, Mr. Wells? You hired me. You also gave all of us strict instructions not to reveal any detail that would confound the data during the experiment. You didn't want false positives. Too risky for the mission. I put me here? Why the fuck would I do that? Well, without discussing the specifics, it's my theory that you thought you'd eventually figure out a way to escape, even though you said it would be nearly impossible. You even had your own memories blocked until the experiment was successful and the right situation triggered them. As to your last two questions, Mr. Wells, I have no idea what I'm supposed to want with you. Data, I suppose. Success, however you define it. But I can't let you go because you told me not to. Not until you get out on your own. The next time Matt woke up, it was in a market outside Port Said on the Suez Canal. There was a masjid a few blocks west, and to the east, a lighthouse arose from the water's edge. In the background, he could hear the sounds of two-stroke moped engines and a crowd talking in a heavily accented mixture of Arabic, French, and English. At the water's edge was a motorboat, and a fortyish man with a thick shock of black hair and a mustache stood in the boat, looking back in his direction. Without effort, he focused his attention on the man and saw himself through his eyes. He remembered why he was there now. Gorfrani was untouchable. Matt walked the remaining half-dozen blocks to where the boatman stood. Do you travel across the water? he asked. The man replied flatly without looking up. Agar arzishis radarad. Mandraba anja bobar, said Matt. And it damn well better be worth it. The boatman took the two of them across the canal and along the coast past Port Fuad. Somewhere near Bardawil, he was met by three armed, swarthy-looking men in a Toyota Land Cruiser whose side windows had been blacked out, where he was head-bagged and his hands and feet were bound. One of them sat in the back with a gun to make sure he didn't make a run for it. Nice day, isn't it? asked Matt. He concentrated on the space above his head. If he tried, he could force something akin to an out-of-body experience that let him track where he was going. He felt briefly triumphant at his new ability, until the rearmost of his captors butted his ribs with a gun. After about four hours of driving in circles, the vehicle finally stopped. From the surroundings, he guessed he was near Arish. They got out, one of the men cut the cable ties from his ankles, and Matt was frog-marched into a building that looked like an active warehouse. Once the three men had left, someone removed his headbag and he found himself seated at a small wooden table. Opposite him was an older man in his mid-sixties, clean-shaven, with thick eyebrows and a prominent chin. Around him were a multitude of boxes he guessed contained weapons and ammunition. Mr. Wells, I am surprised to see you said the man. You are getting sloppy. It was no trouble at all to spot you in the market. Bezad Gorfrani, I presume. One and the same. But it is too bad for you, Gorfrani continued. Despite your cleverness, you will never be able to inform your compatriots. He stood up and walked to a makeshift workstation not far from the small table. Can I get you anything? 
chai. Cream and sugar, said Matt. Then under his breath, I can do this all night, motherfucker. Do your worst. Very well. Gorfrani poured the tea and let it steep. After some time, he took a delicate sip, put down the cup, and leveled eyes with Matt. What I have not been able to figure out, he said, is why you are here at all. Now that you have found me, you cannot leave. Certainly that must be part of your calculus. Indeed it is, said Matt. And I suppose you have poisoned the tea? Gorfrani smiled. <laughs> of course, but that should not stop you from enjoying it. Matt woke up in his cell. He had learned to really hate that place, but it was a mental anchor point for the bilocations, and Ed and Amanda stood nearby. His heart was pounding, and he couldn't breathe. He was vaguely aware that Ed had dosed him with atropine and diazepam. That meant Novichok. Clever. And it told him that Gorfrani was in touch with the Russians. Matt stilled his mind, using a combination of controlled breathing techniques he'd learned as a Navy SEAL and some Buddhist practices he'd only recently discovered. He knew he would calm down as soon as he could activate his parasympathetic nervous system. This was just how you did it these days, a combination of science and spirit mastery. He remembered now who everyone was and why it all had been a secret kept, even from him. It was essential that he not let himself believe anything he had not witnessed in person. The memory trigger that opened the floodgates had been the Farsi greeting at the motorboat, something he'd only experience once he had figured out how to project a copy of himself to Egypt. What shocked him was that any of it had been possible. It seemed like a really stupid, risky idea at first, at the desperate edge of possibility. And what was worse, the science on bilocation, which dated to the 1970s, was questionable. PSYOPs had put tens of millions into it and abandoned it all because of polluted data and confirmation bias. This mission was too important and dangerous to be telegraphing clues to himself and engaging in false belief. Gorfrani operated somewhere in Gaza. Five previous missions to capture him had failed. A series of decoys and booby traps. Ground force missions had been a disaster, and an airstrike was out of the question. No one had seen Gorfrani up close. No one knew where he was. And from scant intelligence, all they knew was that he had a penchant for both poisons and delicate indulgences. Fortunately, it was easier to locate a target whose personal details were known. In the first six months, after a dalliance with psychedelics, Matt had learned to remote view. It was a matter of resident oneness and of collapsing quantum probability waves. Gorfrani had been hard to find, but it was easier when you realized the distinction between Eastern philosophy and elementary particle physics was a false duality. In just months, he had learned to travel places he'd seen from afar, familiarize himself with the surroundings, and travel even farther. Soon, he could bodily will himself to be anywhere he'd seen in a picture, then snap back on cue. It had been worth enduring every little bit of the crazy, woo-woo, shamanistic space cadet bullshit just to find what was real. 
As if on cue, Matt's breathing returned to normal. You get your eyes on Gorfrani? asked Amanda. Better than that, Matt said. I can take us right to him. Thank you for listening. Now, you know we love our listeners, fans, and patrons. If you loved what you heard in this episode, please subscribe to the Untold Tales podcast and leave us a review on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, or the podcast player of your choice. Help encourage others to enjoy these wonderful stories by Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson and other amazing authors and narrators. Again, thank you for listening, and we hope you have a wonderful day.